Tuesday, September 8th, 2020. Thank you for joining me. Welcome back, Lord Football. It's going to be a glorious and quick-moving week. It's already Tuesday. First game's Thursday. Get your pool sheets in. Get your fantasy drafts done. And here we go. Topic number one. The Redskins cut Adrian Peterson. Oh, I'm sorry. The Red Wolves cut Adrian Peterson. Was it a good move or not? Not the cutting of him, but having him for two years to rush for 1,000 yards and then 800 yards in the last two seasons. First of all, the current running back room is straight trash. Nice guys, straight trash. Peyton Barber, J.D. McKissick, your two veteran journeymen, just a guy, guys out there. Antonio Gibson, who is a rookie out of Memphis, who might only be a third down back anyway, wide receiver slash running back type, could be a bust. He could be the next Samaj P. Ryan. Bryce Love as a rookie, pseudo-rookie, second-year player out of Stanford, who's coming off a whole season rehabbing a knee injury and is still not quite ready, believe it or not. That's it. That's the room. And yet they still thought, Adrian Peterson, we don't need him. Don't need him, don't want him. And I said Friday on my radio show, I'm like, so what good did it do to have Peterson here for two years? It was good for Adrian. He got to brag about, look, I still got it, man. I'm a, I'm a warrior. I keep on churning. When everyone counts me out, I'm still here. And I'm like, so what did it do? for? We lost. We lost games. We had two crap seasons. And anyone could have made that move. Doug Williams is like, hey, I hear uh, Adrian Peterson's available. Yes, he is. Arizona got rid of him. Call him up. See if he wants to play. Peterson is like a lot of guys who are what I call couch guys. Where, And I would say that Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick are couch guys. If you need them to play football for you, and if they're on their couch and you catch them on the phone, they're getting off the couch and they'll be like, sure, I'll play. Doesn't mean they're good. Just means they're couch guys. So I was arguing just because a guy's cheap, just because he, quote, produces, and just because you had nobody else on the roster doesn't mean it was a good move. And my argument for it is this. You have no idea what might have sprung up from the waiver wire or from a undrafted player or a practice squad guy because Peterson took all those carries. Carry, 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 carry. Because, well, you got to give it to AP. Man, he's amazing. And, of course, they raved about his presence in the, in the locker room and about what a leader he was. And I don't doubt that per se, but that shit doesn't pay the bills. Okay? So I started naming names with Scott and Sally, who were kind of out. They were incensed that I could be making this argument. What do you mean it was a pointless waste of time? And I said, it's over, and we didn't win. And he was 33 when we got him. Pointless waste of time carries roster space, dead-end signing. I'm like, I don't ever want to sign a 33-year-old running back again. Makes no sense. But they were like, but he produced. And I said, I don't care. And so I started naming other guys who were undrafted free agents that turned out to be great running backs. And I said, we had no idea. If we had given carries that were going to AP to somebody else, who knows who we could have had? I start listing guys, and they were like Chris Carson of the Seahawks and uh, Terrence West for the Ravens a few years ago, and then the other guy whose name I now forget for the Ravens who was formerly a Seahawk. I said there's guys out there. Philip Lindsay for Denver is another guy. 
I didn't even Google it on Friday, but I should have. I did before this podcast. Arian Foster's Arian Foster, Arian Foster, undrafted free agent. Uh, to Priest Holmes, undrafted free agent, and the list goes on and on and on. There's a bunch of guys, and if they're not undrafted, they might be sixth rounders or seventh rounders. I said, give them the ball. Peterson uh, and Geis were the only two guys that ran it for anything of substance. Chris Thompson had 138 yards before he got hurt. Smallwood got a few carries. That was it. The year before, the rushing totals were even more pathetic. Peterson had 1,000 yards. Thompson had a buck 78. Capri Bibb, Samaje P. Ryan, and Robert Kelly, Fat Rob, combined for about 168 yards, the three of them combined. Peterson soaked up all the carries. So what good did it do? It's now over. Well, the Lions, topic number two. The Lions have now signed Adrian Peterson. Congratulations, Detroit. He's your problem now. And by problem, I don't mean problem, but you're going to feel obligated to give him carries. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want more. If you sign Adrian Peterson, he's going to want carries. I looked up the uh, Lions rushing leaders. First of all, my man, Kevin Workus, K-Dubs from Arizona, went on my Scotland trip. My man, he texted me right away. He's from Michigan. He's like, ah, great. My Lions now are making the same mistake the Redskins did. And I said, well, thank God, A, you were on my side of that argument on that Friday you know, dust-up. But secondly, I'm sorry about your Lions. So I went and looked it up. I said, God, yeah, they haven't, they haven't had anybody in Detroit that's run the ball. They've had 1,000-yard 1, rusher in the last 15 years. 1,000-yard rusher. That would be Reggie Bush, who had 1,006 yards. That's it. Seven times in the last 15 years, their leading rusher for the Lions has been under 600 yards for the season. Twice in that span, they've had a leading rusher under 400 yards. Look at these names going backwards. Carrion Johnson, uh, Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick, uh, Joik Bell. Oh, the Joik store. God, I missed the Joik store. Mikel LaShore, Javid Best, Kevin Jones, Kevin Smith, some other guy named Kevin, Sean Bryson, James Stewart, Greg Hill, and then a guy you might have heard of named Barry Sanders. Good luck, Lions. I don't think it's going to work out. Item number three, living the non-sports life. I really got away from sports for the most part this weekend. I hope you had a good Labor Day weekend, whether you were watching sports or not. It's your choice. I tend to stick pretty close to sports during the weekend because, well, it's kind of my job. At least that's what I viewed it to be all these years, and it still is to a certain degree, but it is nice just sort of going, yeah, no, I'm not going to watch that. Why Why would I? When I was up in Philly at my brother-in-law Todd's house, I watched a few minutes of Flyers-Islanders Game 7, and that was that. I watched a little bit of NBA. I watched the – on Friday night, I st- was still home, so I watched the Bucks lose in Game 3. And other than that, that was pretty much it. When I went to uh, go chip and putt one morning, instead of listening to typical sports radio on Philly sports radio, which I did listen to a little bit of, this is the hot argument up there now. 
Apparently, Jason Peters, their outstanding Pro Bowl left tackle or right tackle, wants to. They want to move him back to left, and he's like, "Well, you got to pay him more money if that's the case." And they're like, "Yeah, no, because you're under contract." Anyway, I just thought of God all this stuff that we obsess about, all this information that 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 I, as someone who's a professional of the business, have to keep track of. It's also useless. It's also temporary. It doesn't really increase my knowledge or my learning or my understanding of the world or history. It's just, it's, it's useless shit. I was watching, so when I went to Chip and Putt, I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to Adam Carolla, who had a special on of uh, the Ford Bronco. And it was not even Adam Carolla. It was somebody else on his platform who did this really nice podcast about how the Bronco came into existence and who approved it, and what market segment they were going after and what the similar vehicles were at the time it was introduced. And it was very in-depth. It was very well done. And I learned something. And I thought, I wouldn't learn something chasing down this guy, Brock Holt, former Brewer, now national, who was on a one for 30 skid at the plate. He then was then two for 33 after one more suck game. He finally went four for five, but he can't keep playing third base for the Nats. He's, he's terrible. Nice kid. Terrible. Not, not good. He was filling in for Carter Keboom, a guy whose name I'm sure I'll also, I will also forget in due time. And they're now saying, well, Keboom's going to, Keboom's going to come back. They're going to play him at third the rest of the year, because what other choice do they have? Answer none. And, how bad can it be? How much worse can it be? Brock Holt was one for 30. I thought about that and I go, none of this is enhancing my life, knowing this stuff. I actually had to look up some of the Brock Holt stats. I spent like five five whole minutes on it. Like, what a waste of time. I watched a Smithsonian Channel special, or no, it was a History Channel special on uh, the cars that built America. And it was on the Ford versus the Chevy back in the late 50s. And the Ford had an eight-cylinder flathead engine, which was vroom, vroom. And the Chevy at the time was like, yeah, we're not that powerful. And some Chevy executive actually put a Ford engine inside a Chevy body and took another executive in the company out for a ride and then stopped on a country road and said, come here, I want you to look under the hood. He's like, what, what, what are you talking about? And he showed him a Ford engine inside the Chevy car. And he's like, we need to make one of these engines. Our engines suck. This is where it's at. They convinced Chevy that they should build a V8, which they did. And it changed the car industry. And Ford was playing catch up. And then they went with the Edsel, which is the famous flop named after uh, Ford's you know, dad. And it was too futuristic. It didn't sell any cars. All I could think about was all of this is so much more interesting than Brock Holt going one for 30 and it has better value to me. So I'm just thinking that I bet a lot of you people who are not you people, I bet a lot of you dear listeners just pick and choose your sports. You, you go, I'll have one of these, I'll have a Packer game or I'll have a Redskin game and I'll watch a little bit of this and I like a little bit of baseball and I'll watch the world series, but otherwise I'm just free to roam around as I see fit. And that's a beautiful thing. 
I'm kind of envious of it. I don't know how much I'm allowed to do of that. I feel like I have this obligation as if we're in a sports talk radio guild that's going to keep tabs and go, don't worry, were you aware of how bad Brock Holt was sucking at third base? Okay, do you know his stats? You should. I didn't know that the Redskins had cut, excuse me, Red Wolves, had cut white late round SMU whip up wide receiver Trey Quinn. I, I glanced at the final 53. I saw that the team put out a big to-do about Alex Smith making the final 53. What a great story. By the way, that's the same dumb shit as the Adrian Peterson signing. In theory, you're at a one-player disadvantage by putting a guy on the roster, on the active roster, that cannot possibly play at a high level. I'm sorry, he can't. I've been watching how his foot and his leg moves. It's a great story. It should not be, he should not be on the final 53. You're throwing away a roster spot. And you might say, well, you know, do you really need it? Yes. Teams need roster spots. Anyway, I digress. It was just fun to kind of get away from sports. That's all. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of you guys, not in the biz. Feeling, uh, being able to go, I'm going to pick one of these, one of those, and one of this, and that's it. That's all the, uh, that I'm done shopping doing. And by the way, I'm getting a lot of emails now. People saying, Zabe, I can't take it with all the, the woke stuff and all the social justice stuff. This is not what I want. And I'm like, I don't blame you. I think these emails, I mean, I, I should probably read a few of them, although they're very long, but they're heartfelt. And I don't doubt the sentiments for a second. And I just wonder if these leagues and these teams and these owners and these players, I wonder if anyone is daring to speak up and say, hold on. At the end of the day, we're a product and we're a business. And we have customers who have desires. What do they want? Some day, somehow, someone in in all these professional leagues is going to have to speak up and take a risk with their career and their job in a big meeting room and then walk around, metaphorically walk around to the other side of the equation and go, listen, fellas, I'm an average American who does not want this in their product. They don't get enthused by hashtag and racism in the end zone. They don't get excited about hashtag we're in this together. They aren't down with this. They aren't down with that. They just want a goddamn football game. And we will lose those customers. Because remember, we're a business with a product who have customers who have desires. Don't ever lose sight of that. Oh, but social justice, it's, it's more important than everything. Is it? At the cost of what? How much to your business? Never forget, people have options. Item number four. How about a hot fuzz sandwich? The Novak Djokovic DQ over the weekend was the strangest thing I have seen in like forever. Number one seeded Novak Djokovic, 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 I just said it five different ways, defaulted from his fourth round match on Sunday at the U.S. Open after a tennis ball. He hit an anger, struck a line judge, And a woman, not that it matters, although maybe it does. 
More on that in a second. Hold that thought. In the throat. In the face. Get it done. Oh, wait. That's the wrong one. <laughs> in the face. There it is. In the face. Not in the face, but in the throat. Here it is. Of, of events here. Game. He's walking. He's walking away and doesn't even look. So he's clearly not looking at her with any intention to hit her. He's still looking to the side when he hits it. But hitting it hard towards the back fence, there's lines people and ball kids back there. And then a long, what, 10, 15-minute discussion with Novak. I'm not sure, as I think you, Darren, said, what there was to discuss. The facts were pretty clear. It's a little bit difficult for the referees to make that decision because they have to go on what the umpire is saying and what the people around are saying, and there's no video for them to go back and have a look at. And maybe it would be. I'm not really sure if the video would help Novak or not help Novak because I, I think it was pretty clear. Yeah. And I think the referee did the right decision. It's a tough one, a heck of a tough decision, considering what the U.S. Open has gone through to put this event on, considering the, the number one player in the world, Novak, made the commitment to come over here to play the Western and Southern. So anyway, that was the uh, incident at hand. Afterwards, Pat McEnroe was lobbying. I don't know what he was lobbying. Here's the discussion he had with uh, Chris McKendry. Remember her from ESPN? She's still doing tennis. God bless her. And some Aussie former woman, I they didn't say who it was. I didn't bother to look it up again. Another thing I didn't need to spend 10 minutes on. Who is that Aussie woman? Uh, her name was not on the screen. I don't know who she is, but... Here was their discussion about what happened and what should have happened. When he lost his serve, he just flicked the ball. As he flicked it, the linesman moved. I think so when he hit it, he thought he had a clear path. Doesn't excuse what he did. One of my biggest pet peeves, you guys have heard me say this for years, there should be and has to be a TV screen on the umpire's chair to look at incidentals. This is one of those incidentals that they could have looked at. I can't believe the referee didn't look at it. So it, they're basically. So I don't know what the argument would be. I mean, if the if the if the if the ball girl, ball judge, line woman, whoever it was, uh, she was a line judge. If she moved, then what? What's the ruling? If it had hit her in the leg. What's the ruling? How many miles per hour does it constitute a swat in anger? It's just so happened that this one was hit with some real zip on it and hit her. In the face! In the face! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. And if it was a guy, would it have been different? I'm not saying it's right. I'm I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying. If it was a guy like, ah, okay, uh, <clears throat> okay. I mean, she definitely went down. Uh, it, I'm sure it didn't feel very good. It's actually a fo- first of all, she looks the, uh, the 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 lines woman looks like Pink's mom. Probably a sweet lady. And there's a photo that ESPN had on their front page of Djokovic looking at her, and she looked back up at him and was like in terror, like. Don't hurt me again. I mean, it really is true that a picture is worth a thousand words. In this case, it painted a terrible looking picture. You just glance at that like Djokovic ejected for hitting a lineswoman in the throat with a tennis ball. 
And then there's the picture of her going, what? You're like, ban him for life. But then you got to see the whole incident. You're like, oh. Apparently, no no good clean angle of what happened exactly and, and how it went down. I just don't know what the rules are. Is there any way to go, eh, okay. Is everyone okay here? You're going to be all right? You're going to live? You know, I know it's a tennis ball to the throat. But can we just not DQ the number one seed? He didn't really go on a totally reckless, insane, dangerous tirade. It's not like he did the whole Serena Williams thing. Oh, by the way, hold that for a second. Let me hear a little bit more of this argument between Pat McEnroe and McKendry and others. Seeing everything upon something that happened in real time. And I understand what he did was wrong and he should be defaulted for it. But it wasn't done in anger. But what happens if they actually did it and interpreted it wrong? The first and foremost is they should have a TV, the umpire, and the referee. It took way too long. He should have said, let me just go look at the video here real long. quick. Forget about it. Everything anything. takes too long. Replay always takes too long. When are people going to learn that? Saying it would have, but it would have cut down this delay dramatically. Take a look at the video, and he could have said, you know what, Novak? You flicked the ball too hard. You hit her. You're out. But it's not just that he hit her. I mean, in the throat, she had to be helped off the court. And again, as they said, taken out of the rotation. Okay. So if he whizzed the ball really fast, really hard, and it missed her head by an inch, is he DQ'd? I ask a legitimate question. I don't know. If it was a somewhat slower angry swat and hit her in the leg does that matter again what can you not just go eh. and go to the rule abuse of balls but, but he also let me tell you at western and southern he, he fired yeah he threw a racket oh. and he almost hit uh, you know a security person. Guard. yeah oh boy the same kind of thing if he would have hit him he would have been defaulted he was definitely agitated but i'm agitated if he would have hit him he would have been defaulted so in other words your risk of getting defaulted is pretty much on how people avoid your flying racket or tennis ball hit in anger? I don't know. As a fan, as a player, that the umpire nor the referee never looked at the replay. Okay. And if they but, looked at it, they probably would have defaulted and a lot sooner. And as for the time, but it, so then they would have de- defaulted him sooner. But you, this is what an overwhelming favorite, a 17-time yeah. Grand Slam champion. Aren't you glad they took the time, they heard him out, they listened to what everyone had to say before oh, coming God. to a decision. Why well, rush okay, to make yeah, a decision okay. within a minute? You know, you know what I have a problem with? After Well, it shouldn't take more than a minute. Novak, what happened? I was kind of pissed. I lost a game, and I flicked the ball back, and it hit her. I'm very sorry. I, I hope she's going to live. Okay? Anything else? No, that was p- basically it. All right, uh, what does the rule book say? It's a weird argument. I wanted him to take... I wanted him to go quicker. McKendry's like, no, it's good that they took a long time. All that time. <laughs> what happens if they would have just let him play? After all that time, they let him play. I mean, and PCB... Look, Brad, I think the bottom line is they were never going to let him play. They were just letting him t- speak his piece. The bottom... Oh, uh, there's the uh, there's the uh, Brit- the Aussie woman. ...line is, I agree with you, maybe they should have a, a third eye just to double-check, make sure that they third get the eye. call right. Put the third eye right in the middle of your forehead, eh? The bottom line is... The moment you hit a ball in anger on a- How do you know it was in anger? I guess they kind of knew it was in anger, but maybe it wasn't in anger. Maybe it was in just uh, annoyance. Uh, we're now into judging emotions. That's the state of sports. Was it anger? 
or frustration? Was it frustration or annoyance? Was it exhaustion or was it futility? Tennis court, believe me when I tell you, I've done it a few times. Oh, you are very it. aware of if you hit somebody, you are done. In a- So that's the rule. If you hit somebody, you're done. Even if it dribbles, dribbles real slowly. You, you hit a ball really angrily, it hits the back wall, and then starts rolling slowly to the other side of the court. A linesman's not looking, and the ball goes plink. Oh, that's it. You're DQ'd. Tennis tournament. As soon as he hit that linesman, I said immediately, he's done. No, no that's I said, it. I There's said, no second guessing. It is in the rules. Chris, read the rule. It's yeah. right in front of no, you. I, I the tweeted. bottom line is he did it in anger. He was upset. And no matter what, and it's what James was saying, if you are not aware of things around you and you, I mean, you hit a ball in anger. It was in anger. He lost the game. He didn't even bother to turn around and see, and he hit that woman in the face. You're done. In the face. Oh, in the face. Right. In the face. I think this segment's going longer than the review of this stupid tennis ball. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Moving right along. Issue number five. I need some technical advice. So I got this new DJ setup for the podcast. I like it. But I want to power a large wraparound curved monitor off of a laptop. I am 99% sure that is totally doable and that even a smaller MacBook Pro, even like a 13-inch MacBook Pro, has enough horsepower to drive a large monitor with a lot of screen space so it can open up a lot of windows and do a lot of things. And then I would just keep it with the lid closed and then plugged in and I'd tuck it away under here somewhere. And you can't see it if you're not watching, which you're not, but it would be under the keyboard tray of my stand-up desk. And then I could have a, a, a wireless uh, Bluetooth keyboard and treat it like a desktop. This is, people do this all the time, right? Okay, advice, pitfalls, things I need to be aware of. Again, I'm thinking of a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and I want to drive a big-ass, curved, super-wide monitor, Star Trek-like monitor to uh, have a lot of windows up so I can, you know, do this podcast. Issue number six, potty drama. My daughter goes to Christopher Newport, and apparently on her dorm room, in her dorm room, on her floor, down the hallway, the, the toilets, the shitters blew up. And flooded like nine rooms. Sucks. Luckily, it wasn't my daughter's room. But hey, it could be next time. Who knows? My wife was just walking into the office every two minutes with her cell phone going, oh boy, here we go again. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. It was a bunch of parents freaking out about this and just posting stuff on the Facebook page about where is my daughter going to sleep? How is she going to get her homework done? What about her $150 rug that's ruined? And I just laughed, and I'm like, yeah, shit happens. Life happens. She'll have to sleep on someone's couch, or maybe the uh, university will find her another room. It's not like there's not going to be anyone there to handle the situation. They're going to adjust. She's going to sleep on someone's couch for a couple of nights. She's going to have to study in the library. She's just going to have to deal. And your $150 rug? I don't know. Did you have insurance on it? Flood insurance? Do you know how much you're paying to send her to college? Scoop it up, throw it away, start over. 
What are you going to do? It sort of points to how crazy and helicoptery parents can be these days. This is a small setback. Just deal with it. Don't freak out about it. Speaking of colleges, holy crap. Northwestern, or excuse me, Northeastern University has kicked out 11 students for violating their COVID-19 policies, and they were given no refund. $38,000 down the drain. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Something tells me there's going to be lawsuits. As Andrew Brandt would say, I see lawyers. Arizona has hired security guards at U of A to keep their students in line and in quarantine when they are misbehaving. Private security guards. It's more like prison all the time. My nephew Luke at Penn State reports that they have put the basketball hoops back on the baskets. Well, that's great. Because remember, they took them off after students arrived on campus. They had a big outdoor twerk party on night one. A bunch of kids tested positive after that. They freaked out and they decided to punish the kids. Going, oh, we're going to crack down now. And they took out all the outdoor basketball hoops. Because, you know, science. I love how they all say, we're going to follow the science on this. Yes. Except for when, you know, we just feel like being asshole administrators and punishing kids because, well, they're kids and they know they're not at risk. Have you seen the tables being thrown around social media that show the number of, quote, cases on campus and the number of hospitalizations? I believe there was a a bundle of about five schools that had a cumulative 5,000 plus cases and zero, zero hospitalizations. But you know that. You're smart. It's just Everyone else, I don't know. They just don't care. 15 days to slow the spread. We're in day 178, I want to say. Maybe more, 180, something like that. 15 days to slow the spread because, God forbid, our hospitals are overwhelmed. Well, currently, influenza-like illnesses, ILI, in emergency rooms nationwide, and that includes COVID-19, under 3% nationwide. Under 3%. We are not overwhelmed. We're not close to being overwhelmed. We never were overwhelmed. We're never going to be overwhelmed. But that was the reason. 15 days to slow the spread. Issue number seven. Herbie's struggle session. College game day kicked off its first episode this past Saturday. I think we can all agree. Maybe the best sports show ESPN produces. And... It's not going to be the same this year without the throngs of kids, but they're going to go ahead with it, and I applaud them for that. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet had the following missive about social justice and a plea to everybody. I want you to listen to it. It is a couple minutes long, so sit back and take a listen, then I'll have some comments. I agree with with all of what you guys are saying. It's it's remarkable to see players have an opportunity to come together and that uh, this show and Maria has given them that platform to be able to express how they feel. And I think it's great. I, I also think that if, if you're a white player in these locker rooms, I think it's incumbent upon you to really help with the change. I saw Dylan Bowles there from Stanford involved. And I think, uh, you know, Trevor I, uh, Lawrence at Clemson has been involved. I think it's one thing to, to have rallies. So it's one thing to skip a practice because of social injustice. It's one thing for the NBA and the NFL 
uh, to miss games, to, to make a statement. Those things are great. But my question is, what's next? What, what, what does that lead to? You go back to practice the next day. Um, what, what will lead to change? And I really think, I was talking to David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, uh, who, who really, he and I had a great talk. I love listening to, to his wisdom and his thoughts. And he shared a, a, a quote uh, to me and reminded me from Benjamin Franklin. He said, justice will be served. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And I think that that's what I mean when I think I, our, the, the black community is hurting. If you've listened and, and the, the word empathy and compassion over these last four months, how do you listen to these stories and not feel pain and, and not, not want to help? You know what I mean? It's like the, wearing a hoodie and uh, putting, your, putting your, your hands in 10 and 2. Oh, God, I better look out because I'm, I'm, I'm wearing Nike gear. Like, what? What are we talking about? And so you can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen and you can try to help because this is not okay. It's just not. It's not. And uh, we just it, ha- it, we got to do better, man. We got it. We got to. We got to like lock arm in arm and be together in a football locker room. That stuff is gone. It, those barriers are gone. And, uh, it just, we got to do better. Okay. I will take it at face value that this was from the heart, from Herbie. But even if it wasn't, well, it's great for job security at the four letter. Every woken collecting journalist was tying their fingers in a knot praising it on social media. You got to listen to this. Oh my God, this is so great. Okay. Here's my only problem. Herbie says, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, okay, we got to do better. But then makes no single action item that he believes strongly in that here is what we can do. Here's how we can do it. Listen, be empathetic. We got to do better. And then just melts down into a puddle of, you know, tears. With all due respect, many of us are sitting around going, I ain't been doing nothing wrong, motherfucker. Like, what do you want? You want me to do better. Do you have one thing that you want me to do about the state of policing? Because that seemingly is the only major issue that everyone is focusing on here. Like, what do you want me to do? A lot of us are living our lives as good citizens who are open to all races, all kinds, all creeds, as good neighbors, good citizens, hold the door, let somebody in on a left turn, and don't judge by the color of their skin. And I'm getting this lecture from him as he's in tears. We got to do better. Hey, man, I don't carry a badge and gun. I don't set police policies. I don't control city budgets. And is the problem just the two dozen or so unarmed black men who are fatally shot by police in a nation of 320 million people every year? Or is it something else? If it's more than that, 
and you have a proposal on how to fix it, say it. And I'll go, hmm, not sure about that, but I'm willing to listen. All right. And what if my ideas for doing better go against the current orthodoxy of the day? What if I want more money for police? What if I'm against the defund movement? What if I want more aggressive policing of what would be termed relatively minor crimes? Because I believe that that helps let everyone in a community know that there are still laws that will apply to everybody as equally as possible on a lot of different things and not just let it go to mayhem. What if I truly believe that? Oh my God, You can you imagine advocating for that? When it comes to voting, what if I urged young people to please, for the love of God, vote and please, for the suffering of law-abiding minorities in major cities, vote Republican just once and see what happens. You got nothing to lose. Generation after generation of Democrat-controlled major city, and you got problems all over the place, including with police forces that have black police chiefs. I got an idea. Vote. You're right. Get out and vote. And vote Republican in these cities. You got nothing to lose. It might just work. What you're doing now, it's not working. Can you imagine what they would say if you said that? But I know. Crying is easy. Crying is safe. It makes you a hero. Everything else is hard and it's risky. It doesn't go with the current trend. But, you know, unless you're going to say, here's specifically what I think we should do, it's all just, it's just a public struggle session. It's just dunking on an emotional scarecrow. Like, yeah, look at me. I'm concerned. I care. David Shaw is my friend. I can't believe it. The whole thing about hands at 10 and 2 on the wheel, and I've heard, obviously, black people talk. I'd have the kid talk with my kids. There's nothing wrong with having that talk with your kids. White parents should have that talk with their kids. If anyone thinks that when you're white and you get pulled over on a traffic stop, you're like, oh, la, 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 and you're cooking up a souffle with your hands out of sight, No. When I get pulled over, and I've been pulled over a few times, goddamn right I'm putting my hands on the steering wheel because I don't want a cop to panic on me. Yeah, I know. And you can say, oh, it's totally different, though. You don't understand. You don't understand you're not black. I don't understand what it's like to be black. But if you want to really listen, we're all having a conversation here, right? You're listening. I'm listening. Let me let me just tell you. White people get pulled over. It is a not-in-your-stomach, nervous thing. And many of us white guys don't fuck around. We put our hands on the steering wheel calmly and we listen to what the the officer is saying and we are as respectful as possible because we don't want to go sideways. True story. This this next story is 1000% true. I once got pulled over literally one house away from my own driveway on a Sunday morning because I rolled through a stop sign in suburban tract home, mostly white, Washington, D.C., Virginia suburbs. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you got to be fucking. I'm like, shit. I'm literally, my house is right there. And he's pulling me over here. What the fuck is this? But wait, it gets better. 
as the, he's approaching my window, I look in my side view mirror, obviously, just to kind of look. He's got his hand. This white cop has his hand on his service firearm. And I'm like, really? Holy shit. Now, did I think I was going to get gunned down in cold blood at that very moment? No, but my hair was on the back of my neck. I was like, why is he literally 1,000% true? Imagine if you're black and you're pulled over by a white cop who's inexperienced or just, I don't know, trying to fill his ticket quote on a Sunday morning, catching people to do California rolls through you know stop signs and pulls over a black guy a block from his, not a block, one house from his house, approaches the car with his hand on the pistol. I swear to God, 1,000% true, that happened to me. And I was like, holy shit. But I looked at it like, okay, he is a raw police officer who I don't want to give him any reason to fucking panic. It does happen. Does it happen as much as with black motorists? Probably not. I can't confirm it, but bottom line is, I don't fuck around either. Oh, yeah, footnote, the... uh, he gave me a ticket and it was on, I live on, I used to live on Backwater Drive, Backwater. He wrote the ticket for Blackwater Drive. And I looked at it, I go, oh, I'm going to beat this in court. Blackwater Drive. There is no Blackwater Drive. It's Backwater Drive. So I'm in court and I'm wasting my day waiting to get up there in front of the judge. And I think I pulled this great Perry Mason moment. Ah, Blackwater, your honor, doesn't exist. The judge is like, yeah, no, no, that's just a typo. Or not a typo. That's just a that's just a small mistake. He did pull you over that day. You did sign the summons. He did say you rolled through a stop sign. The fact it's Blackwater versus Backwater doesn't matter. <laughs> I thought for sure I was going to win the case. Anyway, I generally don't mind Herb Street. I, I, I like him. And I'm going to take that, you know, message from him at face value, although he seemed pretty composed. And then at the end of it, he kind of just, I don't know, he just choked up. But, um, you know, if you're going to say we got to do, we got to do better. Just remember a lot of us out here are like, I am doing better. I ain't doing nothing wrong. I work with people of this color, that color, the other color and everything else. And they work with me and we are like family. We break bread with each other. Stop the fucking lecturing for God's sakes. That's what I think people are really getting tired of. All right, let's end on the NFL. Week one odds and matchups Thursday night. Chiefs are minus nine and a half against the Texans. That's a big number. Obviously, they're thinking the loss of DeAndre Hopkins is going to mean a lot. Huge new contract extension, though, for Deshaun Watson with the Texans. Patriots, six at home against the Dolphins. Dolphins may not be with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. It's going to be a big week to see if the rookie is ready. Ravens minus eight at home against the Browns. Bills minus six and a half against the Jets. The Raiders of Las Vegas are at Carolina, and they are two and a half point favorites. Panthers are underdogs in this game. Falcons are home dogs to the Seahawks by a point and a half. The Skins, excuse me, the Red Wolves, six point home dogs to Philly. Lions minus three against the Bears. Jaguars, seven and a half point home dogs to the Colts. Look at all the home dogs. 
Vikings minus two and a half at home to the Packers. Bengals are a home dog of three against the Chargers. Niners minus seven at home against the Cardinals and Kyler Murray with his new receiving weapon, DeAndre Hopkins. Saints minus three and a half at home against the Buccaneers. Rams are home dogs to the Cowboys. The Giants home dogs to the Steelers by four and a half. And the Denver Broncos are minus one and a half to end the week against the Titans at mile high. Oh, so great to have point spreads back in our life. That'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. We are off and running NFL 2020. It's going to be strange. It won't be like we want it to be, but it's coming and it can't be stopped. And for that, we say, thank you, God. Have a great Tuesday. We will see you next time.